Hey everybody, welcome to The Shallow Dive. I'm Megan. I'm Chessie. And we're back for another episode, a bi-weekly episode instead of our normal weekly episode. I had some questions about that. Did anyone ask you about it? Like, where was the episode? Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, well, I have to work, so I don't want to <laughs> yeah. put, put out an episode every week. Um, ideally, we might go back to that at some point, but for now, we're probably going to do every other week, so here we are for that. It will just give people a chance to miss us. That's right. So please miss us and send us all your questions and your sad stories about how much you missed us because yes. we love that. Yes. All right. So how was your week? Um, It went by pretty fast. I'm like, I'm confused since we didn't do this last week. I'm like, what have I done? I know. Um, it's been a minute. I went to Nashville to see Rhett and Link. And I fun. don't know who that is. So you'll have to tell me about them. Um, they have a YouTube show called Good Mythical Morning that I'm obsessed with. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I'm obsessed with them for whatever reason. I don't freaking know. Good but, Mythical Morning. Yes. Said. Okay. But I ended up having to go by myself because I had bought two tickets to go, but then Josh had to go out of town. And so I just went by myself, stayed at an Airbnb by myself. I was like, I'm badass. That's pretty adult. Like, it, that's yeah. pretty... I think that would be really fun, actually. I would feel really strange because I still look around for another adult. Like, I'm always like, ooh, I think we need an adult here. And then I realize how old I am, and I'm like, that's supposed to be me. So I feel weird about it. <laughs> Luckily, everything went pretty smoothly. And, yeah, the Airbnb was, like, much better than my last experience, which some not right now, but someday I will tell the story of that. Yeah. Can we do, can I just submit that as my question for like a listener episode? Because we really wanted, I really want to do a listener episode. I do have a question from my friend Brick. He has a, a question he wants us to cover and I'm going to cover that probably maybe even next week because, or next episode because it's, it is more conversational and I feel like we need to definitely bring up your Airbnb experience because I know the story, but I don't. I don't ever want to not hear. Like, I want to hear it so many times. <laughs> it's the best story. And I feel like the more you tell it, the more weird stuff you're going to remember. So. Oh, yeah. Because there, it was a plethora of Beyond. weirdness. Yes. It, I just sat with my mouth open the whole time mm-hmm. you told it. So let's save that one for sure. That's mm-hmm. a good one. But so this one went better than that one. Yes, it was much better. So, okay. yeah, it was cute and clean. And yes, very nice. Well, that's good. Yeah, so no issues. And I really liked seeing Rhett and Link. Like, they are a comedy duo, so they Mm -hmm. do, like, funny songs or whatever. But, yeah, it was really fun. I enjoyed it. I didn't really do anything. I didn't have to work Friday. And so through my whole week off, like, I typically watch RuPaul's Drag Race on Thursday nights when it's airing because the internet is dark and full of spoilers. So I did not because I just carried on on my Friday night like normal. It was really Thursday, so totally threw my week off for some reason, but I was glad to have that extra day, so. Yeah, that's always nice. Time's flying, so. Yes. Anyway, um, I guess we'll get to our stories now. Let's dive in. Let's dive into our first story. Chessie, what do you have for us? Okay, so I have a pretty weird story this week, which I don't know, maybe you've heard of it because there are documentaries about it. Have you heard of the case of Nicholas Barclay? Not by name. If you get into the story, there might be a chance I've heard it, but the name doesn't ring a bell. So I guess we'll see. (laughs) So 
this, like I said, this can be kind of confusing. So I'm going to do my best to really like lay it out in a non-confusing way. But if you're ever confused, just stop me and got it. Just ask. Okay. So this is a story about a con man named Frederick Bourdain and a missing little boy named Nicholas Barclay. So Nicholas Barclay was born on December 31st of 1980 and he lived in San Antonio, Texas. He had blonde hair and blue eyes. Um, He lived with his mother. Her name was Beverly. Um, There's really no mention anywhere of his father so I assume that he wasn't in the picture. But as Nicholas grew up he did have some behavioral problems. He had tried to run away from his house a couple times. He frequently got into trouble at school. He fought with his mom, fought with neighborhood kids. A lot of neighborhood kids, like, weren't allowed to play with him because he was, like, the bad kid of the neighborhood. Yeah. They even had his uncle Jason um, come to live with him and hopefully, like, help control him and discipline him, I guess. But it didn't really work. He still had a lot of behavioral issues. He was um, diagnosed with ADD and basically just it was kind of he was kind of disruptive and he didn't have the best home life. Got it. Yeah. So in 1994, Nicholas Barclay disappeared. Um, So this was when he was 13 years old. Um, his mother had given him $5 and said, you know, be home by dinner, which is kind of like what you did back in the day. Like, hey, go run the streets, right. come home like for dinner when the streetlights turn on. That was always like my signal. Yes. When it started to get dark or when the house lights came on. So it's time to go home. Yeah, exactly. So his mom was like, go play whatever. He was going to go play basketball. So he went and played basketball. Several kids saw him there. Um, when it was time to come home he actually called his mom for a ride but his mom worked late night so she was asleep and he got a hold of his uncle Jason so his uncle Jason answered and was like hey your mom's sleeping I'm not gonna wake her up and for whatever reason he didn't want to go get Nicholas so he was like you have to walk home so Nicholas started to walk home but he never made it so Mm -hmm. He never arrived home. So at first, they did contact law enforcement. And at first, law enforcement thought that maybe he had run away because he had in the past. Um, He also had a court hearing scheduled the next day because he had stolen some shoes from a store. So he had a court hearing and was potentially going to be sent to a juvenile home. So they thought, okay, well, maybe he's taken off because he doesn't want to face this. He doesn't want to go to the juvenile home. Sure. But law enforcement searched his room and they noticed that Nicholas didn't take any any of his belongings he only had the five dollars that had his mom had given him that day so they didn't think that he had run away but they weren't sure he never arrived home they did investigate his disappearance but they had literally no leads so the case became cold pretty quickly yeah um as time went on his family assumed that he was dead and They obviously went on with their lives, but they were always sad and, like, searching for Nicholas. Sure. But three years later, they got a phone call saying that Nicholas had been found. Oh, wow. So we will put a pin 
right mm-hmm. there. Put a pin mm-hmm. in that. Okay, so this is meanwhile in Spain. In motherfucking Spain. <laughs> in Spain, a boy was found huddled in a phone booth on the streets of Spain. He was found by some tourists and he was like very quiet. He wasn't really talking to them, but they said that he was like scared and he looked traumatized. Okay. So they took him to a youth shelter. He had no ID and he wasn't saying who he was. So the police were contacted and they said that since he had no ID, he was going to be arrested. Okay. Um, so, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's how it works. I don't sure. know. <laughs> yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. So then he starts talking. Um, so this boy then said that he was actually an American who had run away from home and wanted to go back. Um, so he didn't tell the police this. But his name was actually Frederick Bourdain, and he was 23 years old, even though he was acting like he was much younger. He had dark hair and brown eyes. He was allowed to use the... Okay, this is where it gets confusing. (laughs) Okay, so he was allowed to use the phone, like, privately, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, at this youth shelter. (laughs) And he decided to do this giant scam on everybody. So what he did, and this story is 100% true, by the way. It sounds so weird. So what he did was he called the American Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And he lied. And he said that he was a police officer from Spain and that he had an American child with him, but he didn't know who he was. And he said that, you know, this child said that he is from America, he wants to go home, etc. So he described himself to the person that he was talking to. And the lady on the other you know, side, Mm -hmm. typed in some information and said, okay, well, I have a missing child pulling up with that description. His name is Nicholas Barclay. So she fed him the exact information he needed to claim to be this child. Exactly. Magic. So he asked the lady on the other side if she would send him a fax of what the child looked like and his information so he could verify that it was him. Meaning he just needed all the information for himself to start studying this kid and all the info that the American authorities had. Exactly. Okay. So that's what the lady did. And um, Frederick said, yes, this is the child I have with me. This is who this is. Oh, my God. So the police got in touch with the family and they told them, you need to call this shelter in Spain because this is where Nicholas is. So... They called the shelter and spoke to Frederick, the con man. Okay. So Frederick, posing as a detective, told Nicholas's sister, Carrie, that he had Nicholas with him and that Nicholas had been sold into sex trafficking and had been abused this whole time. Oh, Um, my God. He said that he was traumatized and could barely remember his family. He had escaped the sex traffickers and been found wandering the streets. So... They, Carrie got in contact with the FBI and they arranged for her to go 
to Spain and get Nicholas. Oh, my God. In the meantime, Frederick knew, like, okay, this kid's sister is coming to get me. And he was freaking out because he had been faxed the flyer of Nicholas. And it was, like, a color picture. And he knew that he looked nothing like him. Like, obviously, this flyer was when Nicholas was 13 and some years had passed. So he would look a little bit different. But Nicholas had blonde hair and blue eyes. Frederick had dark hair and brown eyes. And honestly, like, he just looked like a much older man than right. 16. Because he was 23 or something like yeah, that. Yeah. But even, even so, like, I'll post pictures. Like, he looked older than 23. Like, he just sure. looked, yeah, older. Um, so to give himself a fighting chance, Frederick left the shelter, which this is a lax shelter. Like, they're just like, oh, yeah, you can go, like, call people and leave. Like, it's just weird. Yeah, especially for someone that claims to be underage. So I don't know. I find that odd, but what do I know? Very strange. Um, but Frederick left the shelter and he bleached his hair blonde. And the flyer also stated that Nicholas had some tattoos, which a 13-year-old with tattoos, okay. That, no, I don't, oh my God, what? I feel like that paints a picture of his home life because. Yeah, if he, well, and again, I know people who have tattoos that are like, pen ink and a needle that they lit up and i'm assuming this is what they were yeah so it's like street tattoos okay right yeah so he had a j on his left shoulder a cross between his right hand and an l and an n on his left ankle so frederick found someone to give him those tattoos so he bleaches hair blonde he got these tattoos so this guy basically so far what we can understand is he his goal, we could reason, is just to get to America. Mm-hmm. Because it's not a rich family that this kid went missing from. No. It's a troubled family. So you're not uh, scamming the Kardashians. You're not scamming someone of notoriety or fame. Right. You're just a psychopath that you're going to extreme lengths to get to America. Which is, not, I mean, it's hard now because, you know, but I don't understand. Okay, anyway, continue. Like, I'm still like, what the fuck? Yeah, very, very crazy. Okay, okay. So Carrie, who was Nicholas's sister, she had never left the country before, and she was very nervous and excited to go and get Nicholas, of course. So when she saw him, she did not question for a minute that that's who it was. She was like, oh my God, my brother, I've missed you. Like, of course I recognize you. She said that she recognized him immediately and that he looked like his Uncle Pat. She took him into a room and they were allowed to have like alone time and she was showing him like family pictures um, from the past how four years or three years, however long I said it was. Um, (laughs) So three years, sorry. So she was showing him pictures from the past three years. She's like, oh, look, this is mom. This is your uncle Jason. This is my daughter. Like all these things and like telling him who these people were. So, and, like, updating him on, like, how Mm -hmm. they were doing, etc. Before Carrie could take him back to the U.S., they had to be interviewed separately by multiple people. So, from, like, the Spanish embassy, etc. 
law enforcement to prove that Nicholas was who he said he was. I mean, he wasn't, but they're trying to prove this. So a major like factor in this interview was they took the photo album from Carrie and was like, hey, who are these people? And like since Carrie had just told him Nicholas was able or Frederick. I'm sorry. See, this is where it gets confusing. Yes. (laughs) Um, Frederick was able to say who the family members were. So they were convinced. They were like, "Okay, you're Nicholas Barclay. You can leave with Carrie. So they gave him a passport and everything. This is the most botched situation. It's bizarre. It's bizarre on all levels. Because people are trying to be helpful. Like the lady at the Missing and Exploited Children. She's like, oh, well, here's who fits my description. You, You just don't think that someone's got the balls to do that. Like that takes the audacity to do all this is just like straight face lying to people and playing on their most tragic incident that they've you know what i mean 100 percent. god that's awful it is so when frederick posing as nicholas got back to the united states and was reunited with the rest of his family everyone welcomed him with open arms um they said that he was standoffish at first and would keep all covered up in like hats and scarves and was very quiet um however nicholas adapted to life back with his family very quickly he hung out with his cousins and other family members and even had a relationship with a girl named amy from down the street shortly after nicholas frederick i'm gonna just you know say that the whole time nicholas Um, in quotations yeah. yeah got back to the united states he was interviewed by a woman named nancy fisher Um, She was from the FBI, and she was there to take a statement about his kidnapping so she could hopefully find who kidnapped him. And his story was freaking crazy. So he said that he was abducted by the military and taken overseas. Um, He was kept in a room with different kids. They would get chloroform chloroformed and wake up in unfamiliar places um they were sexually abused every night they broke his hands fed him insects put needles in his eyes put headphones on him that played sounds of people yelling in different languages and people saying you are not you um if he spoke english he was beaten and they would change these kids hair color And put solutions in his eyes to change their eye color. So that's why his eyes were actually brown when when he left they were blue. What Um, the fuck? Yeah, so fucking weird. Right, exactly. Um, And he, that is also how he explained his accent because he spoke with a French accent. So he did not speak... English without an accent. So he said since he was beaten every time he spoke English and he was like subjected to people speaking French, um, he spoke with a French accent and couldn't speak without it. And he, that's another way to play to their the family's sympathies is to say, well, he's adapted to his awful surroundings to survive exactly exactly yeah they were like oh he's quiet because Mm -hmm. he's gone through all this trauma and exactly right um so this woman that was interviewing interviewing him nancy um she was pretty suspicious of him from the get-go because she was like this person is not 16 years old 
No. Um, yeah. He also had the shadow of a dark beard. So she was like, even if he is growing a beard, like his hair was naturally blonde. So like his beard wouldn't be dark. But right. he did have like a very dark five o'clock shadow. So she was suspicious of him, but she didn't really say anything. She was like, there's no way that the family would accept someone into their lives that wasn't their child. So she just went about investigating his story. So the show Hard Copy, they wanted to interview Nicholas. Um, So they hired a private investigator named Charlie Parker to help them find Nicholas and get him in for an interview. Mm -hmm. So Nicholas was actually told by the FBI not to talk to the media because it would mess up their investigation, but he did anyway. Um, So he spouted kind of more lies during this interview, but he was just going so in depth with his story of how he had been sexually abused and kidnapped. But during this interview, the private investigator, Charlie, he was there and he was looking at Nicholas and, well, okay, he was looking at Frederick. There we go. Right, right. And he was looking at pictures of Nicholas and he was like, there is no way on this earth that this is the same Mm-mm. person. And how he actually really like cemented that idea was he looked at his ears because apparently ears like don't change as you get older they're not gonna like fundamentally like change their shape or whatever right right. and they had very different ears so he was like this is not the right person at all no it's this is terrible because you the last thing you want to do is to tell someone who's been through a traumatic event or incident that they're lying because all we get is people dismissing others who've been through trauma in this country especially and all I mean it's just cultural everywhere you dismiss horrors because you don't think they really happen so that no one wants to tell this guy uh you're a fake because listen to his sad story listen to the family who welcomed him. it's just playing upon everyone's good side you know exactly Ugh. well and it's such a tricky situation because at this point he had lived with this family for like six months so you would yeah. think like if they knew it wasn't him like you i don't know something would have come about in their daily life where they could have been and you know what they might have but again if he didn't have a great child if nicholas didn't have a great childhood and this person slips in how often did they spend time with Nicholas in the first place? You know, now they're just so grateful to have him back that they're like accepting whatever may come and writing off red flags because how many of us have done that in any relationship on someone who is who they say they are and keep giving them the benefit of the doubt as if you didn't see the giant red flag, but you're like, well, they're a good person or I care about them. Then you just keep writing stuff off. So it's just, again, playing on their sympathies is so sad. Yeah, it really is. And in the documentary, like the family members would say like, yeah, I did question some things. There were some red flags, but I just wanted to believe it so much. And like they, everything was explained away by him. Right. So Charlie, the investigator, was like, this is not the same person. I have to tell someone. So he contacted Nancy Fisher from the FBI. And she was like hesitant at first to believe Charlie because she was like, no family would take in a stranger like this. However, she did take Nicholas to see a forensic expert in Houston. So they flew to Houston and immediately the forensic expert was like, this is not Nicholas Mm -mm. Barclay. No. Um, He said, 
he could not speak English without an accent. And the expert knew that if you were raised in an English speaking household until you were 13, there's no way that even if you were just exposed to a different language all the time, there's no way that only three years later that you wouldn't be able to speak English without an accent. Yeah, you should be able to go back to your accent. You may be able to speak some people can mock a British accent or right. whatever. But you, if you were born here and you lived primarily in an English-speaking household, you'd have a specific dialect from where you're from. Because I sound Midwestern. You know, you're from up north, so you have a little bit. But it's the same, it's right. the same thing. That's where you were raised. So you've been here in Indiana for, I mean, how many years? Or, lo- or southern, southern Indiana, so you don't sound like me. But right. it's because most of your formidable life was formed somewhere else. You were somewhere else, so... He's full of shit. (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah, he was like, there's no way that this is this child. So immediately after that, the investigation changed because they have like multiple people saying, no, this isn't right. So they were in Houston at this time. So Nancy called Carrie, which was Nicholas's sister. Carrie was kind of almost not Nicholas's like caretaker, but she was a big factor in his life because their mom like couldn't really travel and she had a lot of issues. So Carrie did a lot of this like traveling for the situations but um nancy called carrie and was like i'm really sorry to tell you this but there's no way this person is your brother carrie was supposed to meet them at the airport she was like don't come to the airport we're gonna figure this out like i'm gonna talk to some people and see what we need to do but like don't come to the airport you don't have to take them back to your house So Carrie acted shocked and she agreed to this. She was like, okay, like this is crazy. But when Nancy flew back into Houston, Carrie was there at the airport to greet her brother. And she acted like that conversation had never happened. And she took Nicholas Frederick home with her. God. So now it's like Charlie is suspicious. Nancy from the FBI knows Frederick isn't Nicholas, but the family is acting like nothing happened. So now they're like, what is going on with this family? So Nancy went to see Beverly, who was Nicholas's mother, to request a DNA sample. And Beverly literally laid down on the ground and refused to give DNA. She was like, nope, I'm not doing this. I'm not giving you my DNA. Like, we're not working with you guys. She was very hostile towards the FBI. That's so strange. So now Nancy is thinking that the family has something to hide. Yeah, definitely. So they finally get a court order for DNA and fingerprints. And that's when they definitively proved that Nicholas was actually Frederick. So now it is known. So after Frederick was caught, he had some shocking claims. Um, He said that there was no way that the family ever believed that he was Nicholas. He said there were just too many things. Like there's no way that they could believe he was really him. And he claimed that someone in the family had killed Nicholas. And that's why they went along with Frederick's scheme because they really didn't have a choice. They're like, shit, we killed Nicholas. And and now someone is saying that that they're him. So we can't refuse because then people might get suspicious. So to further cover up Nicholas's murder, they went along with Frederick's claims. Holy shit. 
He said from the very beginning, from the moment that Carrie saw him and showed him those pictures of the family, like before the FBI could even talk to him, he had a feeling that something wasn't right and that the family knew that he wasn't Nicholas. So because of these claims, Inspector Charlie wanted to look into the possibility of foul play in the disappearance of the real Nicholas Barclay. So he further questioned Nicholas's family and in particular his uncle Jason who lived with them at the time. So he did some digging and discovered like I said that when Nicholas was younger his home life was very tumultuous because of their whole family dynamic. Like police had been called to his house multiple times due to disputes with his uncle Jason. It's also been said that his uncle and his mother were both on drugs. And then a few months after Nicholas had went missing, his uncle Jason actually called the police and said that he had seen Nicholas trying to break into the house, but he ran away and he just let him go. And when the police investigated this, they could find no proof that this had happened. So Charlie said that this can happen a lot in murder cases because the guilty party is trying to like establish that the victim is still alive. Right. And then soon after Charlie started investigating Jason, he died of a drug overdose. Oh, wow. So bad home life, sketchy stuff going on, possibly accidentally killing this kid maybe in a dispute at home exactly and then just like dumping him or burying him somewhere and just the family covering it up certainly and so then there's suspicion and maybe his sister didn't know that but she was like hey here's your uncle here's this here's that because she kind of thought that was happening or that's sad that's all very very sad yeah so police did look into this but they couldn't locate any remains or additional evidence that pointed to Nicholas Barclay's fate. So to this day, it is still unsolved. He is still missing. So after pleading guilty to passport fraud and perjury, Frederick Bourdain was sentenced to six years in jail. Once he served his jail sentence, he returned to France um, because that's where he was originally from. (laughs) In 2003, he assumed yet another identity of a missing boy. This time it was 14-year-old Leo Bali or Bailey, I'm not sure, who had disappeared about seven years prior. So Bourdain was almost 30 at this point and he claimed to be this 14 year old boy and they bought it at first but dna testing eventually proved he wasn't him and in 2004 he tried to run this scam again posing as a spanish adolescent named ruben espinoza Um, And he claimed that his mother was killed in an attack in madrid and police again uncovered the fraud and deported him back to france so he eventually got sent back to prison And it has been said that Bourdain has allegedly used 40 fake identities before the whole Nicholas Barclay case even happened. Um, So he was an elaborate con artist and he was wanted by Interpol before he illegally posed as Barclay. Um, He's actually out of prison now and he is married and has five children. I'm sorry, what now? Yep. <laughs> Married with Wait, wait, kids. wait. What if he kills one of his own kids and then poses as his child to his wife? Like, he's like, no, no, it's me, <laughs> Francois. Like, what? At least what they if- would probably look more similar. Right. <laughs> She's like, it is my 14-year-old. He's come home, but my husband's missing. I'm very confused. <laughs> like, what was his, what do you think his 
what was the end game to pose I as a child? Know. He was very okay. So there's a documentary about this, like I said, called The Imposter. Okay, yes. He, I, I vaguely remember someone, I listened to a podcast that covers documentaries, so I don't have to watch them. And I feel like this is one of them, but I also worked at the same time I was listening, so I didn't catch all of the story. But what a strange thing yeah. to do. Like He is mentally ill, 100%. Oh, sure. 100%. But what a strange mental illness to have. Like, okay, you know the people like that... Um, that oh god whatever the real dead voiced girl that they did a documentary on recently that scammed everybody saying she was going to change the way like blood tests were or something and she like wore an outfit like steve jobs and she i don't know everyone's probably screaming i'll have to it's i haven't heard i'll send you the link to this girl um there's a documentary on her and i think even Kristen wig might be playing her in something soon but she scammed people for like money like i'm gonna change like for notoriety on being changing the medical field and like um, people that get in trouble for posing as dignitaries or very rich socialites. There's a right. girl that's in trouble now for like pretending that she's some socialite and getting into very expensive places and getting, you know, like there's money at the end of this or something. I don't know what what is wrong with you that there's no payoff for that. Yeah. Like, I don't want to go to jail because I pretended to be somebody's bitch-ass little kid. Like, there's no... <laughs> no. I mean, I did like being a kid, but I don't know why you'd think you could pose in your 20s and 30s as a child. That's yeah, such an it's aw- bizarre. What is speci- it's very bizarre. The whole thing is just crazy. And, like, I've watched this documentary twice. Like, I watched it back in the day, and then I watched it a couple days ago, just kind of to do notes for this but right so the first time I watched it I was like this family killed their their son like this family killed this little boy I was 100% convinced but watching it this time I don't know like it's hard because how this thought got into people's head was that um Frederick was the one that claimed this so it's like you can't believe him no, because, because he's obviously he's, a liar. <laughs> he's, a, he's a known liar. Yeah. So you can't believe him. And it's like this family is just poor. You can tell. Yeah. Poor and like uneducated. So maybe yeah. they really just wanted it to be him so badly. Oh, sure. That they believed it and were willing to just, I don't know, believe well, it. Well, that's the thing is if somebody plays on, on your kindness and your na- naivete or whatever, you just don't see something coming because you're wanting it to be true like you're heartbroken you have someone missing maybe the uncle did have something to do with it but maybe the rest of the family did not know right for sure so it probably wasn't a giant cover-up it was probably a drug-fueled something where they dumped him somewhere in some nasty like drug house or something right but that's so sad like that's that's the thing like recently did you remember that timothy pitson or yes whatever? like yes. that 14 year old boy who went missing from illinois in 2011 i just pulled the article up so when they ran that story recently they're saying he's found they found you know this mm-hmm. someone wandered up saying he was found but like when they ran that story it looked like he was found because they used timothy's picture when he was missing and next to it they put an age progression a age progression photo on the story of like teen boy found blah 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 and right. I was like oh my god it, it is him look how close those pictures look because it did not say age progression right in the headline 
it, it looked like they had his old picture and then here he is this new picture and all it was was an age progression that was so false like it was very misleading and then it turns out to be a guy named Brian Reaney who was also 23 posing as a teenager and he was found guilty and can face up to eight years in prison for lying to a federal agent about who he was so good like, but why do people I know he had some mental illness but like what a very specific mental illness to have it's like they want the attention they want yeah. the notoriety I guess but like what a strange bit of notoriety that you'd want yeah like, it was me I'm the missing child like you watched face on the milk carton too many times or something right. what's wrong with you how right. weird yeah and one thing that did not sit well with me like against this family is because when they interviewed the FBI agent she was like talking about how she had given a polygraph test to the mother Mm -hmm. and they were like she was like she took the polygraph the first time and passed it she took the polygraph the second time and passed it and I just knew in my heart she was lying so I made her take it a third time and then she failed it and I was like fuck you like you can't just give someone a polygraph test over and over until you get the results you want and also you're the one that reports the results so maybe she didn't fail it and now you've decided that you were going to skew it so those are so they're junk science anyway exactly for you to to go out there and but the thing is it's used to all the time to say well they wouldn't take a polygraph bitch if you think I'm taking a polygraph innocent or guilty I'm absolutely not if you think that I'm going to get arrested and not immediately request an attorney and you want to go say well she asked for an attorney before she said anything she's got to be guilty no it's because I'm smart and because people people want to be helpful to the police when they're innocent and they go in and blab their big mouths and then all of a sudden they're convicted of murder yeah and they weren't even there so no thanks Yeah, thanks, true crime uh, podcasts and articles and documentaries. You taught me what not to do. Right. And honestly, if I was given a polygraph, I would probably fail it because I have anxiety. Yes. Like, hardcore. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure, like, even if I was telling the truth, like, it would show up as me telling a lie. Because that's pretty much what it measures is, like, your heart rate and this and that. Like, I would just be nervous and fail it. Exactly. Well, she was really nervous and sweating. Yeah, you're questioning me and trying to corner me into something I did not do. So yes, I am very nervous. I just I think it's such a piece of shit science. I think that it's not admissible in court for a reason, but it really doesn't matter that it's not admissible because people still use it against you in they the media do. because the media will catch hold of something and just rip people to shreds and it's such a sad thing, truly. It is. Well, speaking of weird and bizarre stories this is something that I wanted to cover because I found it interesting I saw this show recently because you know it's always some random tv show they'll probably cancel it after three episodes and then Mm -hmm. it'll be obscure as usual but this is a place that you've been and I have not so um this is the escape from Alcatraz oh yes and you can tell me a little bit about Alcatraz or your experience when we're talking about this too because I have I have not been but this is basically regarding an escape that happened that it was neither confirmed nor denied that these people survived so Alcatraz you know they think once you escape from there you really can't because no one's truly done it or whatever so and there's been movies and TV shows about this escape. I think Clint Eastwood was in one. And it might have actually been called Escape from Alcatraz. But this is a shallow dive. So I did not include all of that. Because, of course, something that happened that long ago has a lot of information. So I'm just going to skim over a little bit here. 
Okay, so everyone knows most likely what Alcatraz is. It's pretty famous. It was a maximum security penitentiary. Um, it ran from 1934 to 1963. So it was, it's considered the most infamous prison in U.S. history for a lot of reasons, but it did once house uh, Al Capone, Whitey Bulger, and Machine Gun Kelly. Uh, the geography alone makes Alcatraz prison stand out. It's difficult to navigate. It's surrounded all, all sides mm-hmm. by the San Francisco Bay. So um, the water stays about 60 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's chilly. If you were to fall in and the strong currents on have a like big part in that as well. So cold water, a little bit out on the bay, difficult to navigate waters. Most likely if you're going to jump off that thing and try to swim, you're either going to be pulled under by a current or it's going to be exhausting trying to get to the next piece of land. So they're pretty sure that most people did not survive or that was the, that was the census on that or the consensus on that. So, um, it's the very first supermax prison and they introduced some of the prison features like the centralized cell door locking system, remote controlled tear gas dispensers and metal detectors. So pretty advanced for back in the day, but because it costs so much to operate, uh, it cost a lot more than other prisons and it had half a century of saltwater saturation. It just eroded the buildings. And so um, Robert F. Kennedy shut it down in 63. So just deterioration because mm-hmm. it, where it was. And it just had a lot of factors to, for it to close. But the year before it closed, so 1962, uh, I think four people were, were originally involved in this. But one of them was so boring and he didn't go with them that I just don't care about his story. <laughs> um, so Frank Morris, Clarence Anglin, and John Anglin, who were brothers... They executed an escape plan they'd been making for months, and through the FBI's uh, investigation, they were unable to determine whether they made it or not. Like I said, I guess they had been investigating this for about two decades, so (laughs) they never confirmed it, but honestly, it's pretty clear as we go along. I feel like they did make it. There's a lot of reasons why, but the files on the FBI website begin with the breakout in 1962. They continue through December 1979. The FBI officially closed the case on their end then, and there's this new show called Mission Declassified. It's on the Travel Channel, and this journalist named Christoph Putzel states that hundreds of newly declassified FBI files have been released, and with the help from the Freedom of Information Act, they've been able to uncover what might have happened to the three men. So, real dramatic, you know, the show's like, starts off like, with newly, okay, it's, let's calm down, first of all. He gets real turned up, so... (laughs) Basically, a little history behind this. It looks like Frank Morris appeared to be the mastermind of the escape. He was a career criminal. He spent two years in Alcatraz. He was committing crimes from the time he was about 13, and he had a very high IQ. He ranged, his crimes ranged from breaking and entering to grand larceny, lots of stuff in between. He was in Florida and Georgia, where he served some time, and then escaped from the Louisiana State Penitentiary. Uh, He was serving 10 years for bank robbery at that time. And then he was recaptured a year later and uh, sent to Alcatraz. And John and Clarence Anglin were two of 13 kids from Georgia. They were in prison for bank robbery. They allegedly robbed the banks with toy guns. Oh, my. It still holds a prison sentence, obviously. So dummies out there, don't be trying to do that. Because that is is illegal. If it's a toy gun, it does not matter. If you're robbing someone and you even allude to the fact that you have a weapon that carries a prison sentence. So, like, don't do that, please. So, I read some of the declassified reports myself. Mr. Putzel, the journalist on the show, made it sound like he was the only one who could access these files, and he isn't. So, (laughs) they are 
on the FBI's website. They're for all to read if you're interested. There's years of reports and a lot of it's typewriter and some of it's handwritten. So kind of hard to read. But right. th- this show's dramatic, man. It's like, I've been able to uncover blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm like, really? Okay. You're like, me too. Yeah, me too. Also, with a quick Google search, <laughs> I was able to uncover them myself. So the reports go back to June 14th which was a little bit after the three were reported missing. It states that three prisoners missed a bed check, so they called in officers to search the island, but they had not located them. The Coast Guard dispatched a helicopter and four patrol boats. They searched the bay. Cars driving in the area were put on special alert, and people on the Golden Gate Bridge were alerted and checked for the fugitives. The file states that subjects possibly made a good escape by utilizing a homemade raft, which I'll mention later, I thought it was pretty cool to see the files because it's like stamped by the investigators and there's, it's just kind of neat to look through. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of the ones that do have handwritten parts of them wrote caution, extremely dangerous under each of their names. So that was interesting to see. Um, So on the show, this park ranger, Sarah Anderson grants Putzel access to the cell block where the prison break plan originated, which was B block. The bars are made of tool-proof steel, so if someone were to cut into the bars of the cell doors, it would grow wider instead of deeper, and I don't know what that means. So, like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I'm not sure. They, I watched it three times, and I don't know. I don't know what that means. What is changing when you're sawing something? That's neither here nor there. But I was very confused. I was like, they're tool-proof, and you can cut into them, but something's changing within the metal. I don't know that. If anybody knows. Please explain it because I don't get it. Um, So they worked for about six months and gradually widened ventilation duct openings in their cell walls using saw blades they found discarded on the prison grounds and they used handles of spoons to chip away at the back wall. Well, that's just irresponsible. (laughs) First of all, saw blades left around the prison yard. Ma'am, ma'am. You're like, hey, you you left your saw blade. You know what? I'll just take that with me. Uh, John, you want to go ahead and slip that under your shirt while we... uh, since we're trying to escape, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah. So they, you know, spoons, you'd think, okay, someone grabbed that from the dining hall. That's kind of inconspicuous. But discarded saw, bl- I'm sorry, what now? Mm-hmm. Makes no sense. So they did fashion some drills with vacuum cleaner motors and drill bits. So like they. Also, of- <laughs> where did they get that? Like, what- why is this laying around is yeah. my question. They Strange. did have barber clippers, which, you know. Again, smaller, so maybe easier to get out. But, right. like, what are you doing? Like, you're not... I there guess... Should be a- I guess with those things, because, like, oh God, I probably sound ignorant, but, like, when you're in prison, you, like, have a job. You know what sure. I mean? yeah. And now I'm sure there's checks. Like, okay. Right. Like, exactly. On Orange is the New Black, which is obviously a very... Yeah. Very I mean, accurate source. Yeah. It's, they do check out things of the tool shed. Everything's got a number. Everything's got right. like a place. But I guess, you know, their hand put, you know, cupping things in their hand, put them in their pocket, moving on. So I thought you were going to say in their butthole. Well, listen, I was going with their hand, but we don't know their business. Yeah. We don't know how they got that shit back to there. <laughs> I, and could have been butthole related. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the investigators found nearly 80 tools used in the escape. So that's excessive. Oh, that is. My favorite part is that they made dummy heads with real hair they took from the barbershop and put the dummy heads in their beds to make it look like they were still in bed. So that's how it took so long because right. they didn't technically miss a bed check. They checked They checked them and moved on. Mm-hmm. So they're there, counted them, moved on, and they were not in their beds 
like, I think it was like the following day or maybe that morning or something, but they did discover that. But do they show, do you get to see that in the um, tour? Do they show you those cells of like, I believe so. Yeah. I have like a bad memory, but yeah, they definitely talk about it on the tour. So I'm pretty sure you see the cells. Yeah. Yeah. They concealed the holes with cardboard and paint in the back of their cell and their work noise was concealed by Morris playing an accordion. <laughs> nice. So they really had like a little little hoedown situation going Good on. Lord. To, yeah. So the raft I was talking about earlier, the men fashioned their getaway raft out of 55 stolen rubber raincoats. 55 stolen rubber raincoats. They sewed them together and then melted the seams on a hot water pipe above their cells. So once they were going through the vent ducts and everything, they did have access to get kind of not on the roof, but between the cell tops and the roof, and they would melt them together on the hot pipes. I mean, I'm just proud of these people for like... I mean, let them go at yeah. this point. Like, I mean, they God earned speed. it. They absolutely did. So six months of hard work they put in for this escape. And at the northeast shoreline near the power plant, there's a blind spot in the prison's networks of searchlights and gun towers. So they inflated their raft with a concertina, you know, like the... I think it's an instrument, mm-hmm. and it, yeah, it looks like a fan, kind of. So at some time around 10 p.m., they think, uh, they boarded the raft and launched it and departed toward Angel Island, which is two miles to the north of Alcatraz. And so on June 14th, a Coast Guard cutter, whatever that means, picked up a paddle floating about 200 yards off, to, off the southern shore of Angel Island. I think it's Angel a type Island. of boat. Yeah, Coast Guard cutter. Oh, yeah, maybe. That's probably right. Um, I thought if your title's the cutter, <laughs> what... <laughs> It's just a Coast Guard guy that carries scissors. He's like, nope, cutting everything. What a weird job. Can you imagine? Oh, I'm so dumb. Um, on the same day, on June 14th, there's same general location. Workers on another boat. Oh, on another boat, so maybe cutter. Yeah, anyway. Found a wallet wrapped in plastic containing names, addresses, and photos of the England's friends and relatives. So um, a few days later, there were shreds of raincoat material found near the Golden Gate Bridge. And then a prison boat picked up a deflated life jacket made of the same material. You know, it's all these little things. So they know they've gotten that far, right? So they could have been sucked away in the currents or whatever, but they do find hard evidence of this escape but then they say no other physical evidence was found in that area and so a few days later there's another report from a san francisco police officer saying an illegal boat was in the bay near alcatraz and then the boat left heading under the golden gate bridge and this led to speculation that the prisoners had outside confederates to pick them up by boat but the fbi dismissed the officer's account which is probably the dumbest thing you can do because any lead is a good lead so even if it's bullshit it seems you have to, to at me, least look into it. Certainly. And three people have, fam- I mean, one of the, two of those boys are two of 13. So you don't have other associates that were robbing stuff with you. You don't have, you know, of course you're going to have outside sources. Um, when you execute a six month long plan, I assume these gentlemen were not stupid. At least They one had of them. this shit covered. Certainly. So um, on this mission declassified episode, Putzel gets a raft of the exact same size that's old and proves that you can make it on a leaky raft across to... Uh, Angel Island in matching tide and weather conditions and then he speaks to Michael Esslinger who's an author and expert on this escape he's written several books about it I believe and Esslinger states that the men's goal was to reach the land and steal a car so in 2015 the FBI mistakenly declassified a memo that was written the day after the escape and it reads that a 1955 blue Chevy was reported stolen in Marin County 
It goes on to say that someone was forced off the road by three men in a 55 blue Chevy. So where was the car going? So he puzzle tracks the car sighting in the FBI reports. And, you know, he's got one of those crazy, like, Charlie Kelly yes. boards, you know, like, <laughs> so, yeah. So he's making it, you know, obviously for TV, you've got the crazy string, you know, and here and here he's got the reports on this big board, right? So he tracks the car sighting. Two weeks after the first memo, a report states that the car with three men fitting the descriptions was in Oklahoma. Then they spotted the same similar situation then in Ohio and um, South Carolina. And the Anglins went where they had connections. Because like Saddam Hussein did the same thing. El Chapo did the same thing. You go to where you have familiarity and connections. So the Southeast U.S. is where some of these gentlemen did have that. Putzel contacts Ken Widener. He's the Anglin's nephew. And he shows a photo of the brothers allegedly from 1975 alive and well in Brazil. So in 1992, a friend that was close to his uncles provided photos and a farm where his uncles resided. And Putzel wants more info, and all he gets is this one photo, which is pretty widely spread on the internet, I think. And he refuses, uh, Widener refuses to out his uncles and said no one in the family is ever going to turn them in. So he keeps pressuring Widener to give him more information. And he's like, I'm not telling you anything else. Like, this is, here's the photo. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying. Nobody's going to out them. If we know where they went or where they are, if they're still living, just you're barking up the wrong tree. And I don't blame him, honestly, because they aren't murderers and they're not rapists that we know of, at least. So they, they did do crimes. They were smart enough to get out. So, I mean, it's been a million years. Let it go. But Putzel takes the photo Widener showed him and contacts uh, Sean Desset, I think is his name. It's at Anametrics Labs. He specializes in advanced investigative, investigative facial recognition. So he runs this photo through the system, the new photo, and then old mugshots of the Anglins. And based on his comparative analysis, it is extremely likely that that photo from 1975 is legit. Um, the brothers have facial hair in the new photo and don't in the old, but Doucette can analyze the growth pattern of facial hair, like the five o'clock shadow, mm-hmm. and it matched perfectly. Like, it was insane how much it matched. And Doucette said that it's about 80% probable this photo is of the Anglin brothers. And honestly, you don't need this guy to tell you it's these guys. Right. It's, it's, it's very indicative of like you see the mug shots which are very clear and of course they have like shortcuts and no facial hair and in the 70s they had like the big 70s glasses a little bit longer hair and and beards and they're standing next to these giant termite mounds which I've never seen anything like this I thought they were standing by boulders but it's termite mounds it's gross the picture is very to me it's very clear that it's them like you can see where it's one of those things like do you are you believing it because you want to believe it or do they really look alike and I honestly feel like I could totally see it but when they run their faces through the through the system you can see so much as the facial hair everything matches so um Putzel then talks to a retired U.S. Marshal that worked the case Art Roderick he spent 30 years investigating it the case was turned over when the FBI closed it they turned it over to the U.S. Marshals back in 79. It'll remain open until the escaped prisoners turn 99 years old. So um, the Marshals have it until then. Uh, the Englands brothers' mother had a safe that they had uncovered over the years, or she allowed them to. I'm not sure how that happened. Um, there was a photo that Widener showed them, so it was the one with the termite mounds. And there was other photos in a cassette tape. And there was a drug runner named Fred Breezy featured in the photos. He grew up with the Englands, and he transported drugs up from Central America. Fred told people that he ran across the Anglins in Brazil and said they had a really big farm and they were doing really well. 
The fact that uh, Fred Breezy grew up with them and knew them before the escape leads Roderick to believe that he was telling the truth because it was a sighting of the brothers by someone familiar. It wasn't mm-hmm. a stranger. You know when a stranger, there's a million leads. Like, yes. I saw him in wherever. They're more likely to dismiss that. But Fred Breezy said, oh, yeah, I ran into him because he ran. They knew Fred ran drugs there and they didn't have to give him a bunch of details about we believe he's they're on a farm in Brazil. He said, I saw them on yeah. a farm in Brazil. So it was very likely that that was true. Um, so the U.S. Marshals narrowed down the search to a place in Brazil called Tabate, I feel like is how they said it. I even typed it out like that so I would remember. <laughs> Phonetically. Um, yes. Um, so the marshals hadn't gone there to investigate because honestly, cold cases such as that that are nonviolent, you know, it's not the Golden State Killer. It's a couple of dumbass bank robbers who shouldn't have done what they did, but funds and resources can allow that to go cold mm-hmm. safe, more safely than people who were murdering and raping so they just said our resources didn't go that far so Putzel goes because of course travel channel or whatever I said this is on I think it's travel sent him down there so it's 6,500 miles south of Alcatraz Uh, Brazil has international criminals flock there because of lax extradition laws so uh they think that that's probably likely that that's where they went it's a large country as well so it's harder to find people it's over three million square miles so you can spread out there as a criminal you're less likely to be found Putzel goes to the municipal archives in Tabate where records go back centuries he and a translator met up with uh this woman named Amanda she was like the curator of the city archive and she pulls criminal records and land information from the late 60s to the mid 70s to try to narrow down were there Americans living here if they're criminals, did they commit more crimes? There's going to be some sort of record. And there's no real mention of any Americans living in there in that city in any official record in that time period. So they start narrowing down their search to farm owners during that time. Where are the farms? They pull out this big map. Every dot on this map is a farm during that time. There's hundreds because it's, you know, a very vast country. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was farmland. So um, they're narrowing all this down. But in the back of the picture that he does have of them standing by the termite hills, there's a two-lane highway. And she said, okay, well, there was only one two-lane highway anywhere near here in the 60s and 70s. Let me show you the farms that run up that. So they pull out the map. They're narrowing it down. And then she hooks him up with, who's this guy? Celestio Tome. He was the head of rural development. So he's familiar with the history of the farms and how that happened in his area. So they hook up and he's like, there's definitely an, a farm from that time that was rented by Americans. And how we know that is because it was called Fazenda dos Americanos, the farm of the Americans. Well, makes so sense. That'll, that's how you narrow that down. Right. That'll do it. <laughs> because they said typically that's how farms traditionally are named there as well. So if you're from northern Brazil, it would be like northern Brazil farms or whatever. It doesn't matter if you're still in that area. It's just like a reference from where you came from is how your farm is named. So Mm -hmm. uh, the farm of the Americans is what it it was referenced as. So the farm was referred to the farm of the Americans during the 60s and 70s. So it was that time. So this guy, Putzel's about to shit his pants, right? He's like slobbering over this whole situation. I was like, dude, calm the fuck down. You're on TV. You knew this was going to happen. This was all planned out. Don't. It's all a scam. Anyway, so the translator and Putzel pull up to the farm. They find it. They have an aerial view of it, and it is very isolated. So that's also perfect. Like, not a lot of people coming around. The property manager and caretaker talk to them. She confirms it was called the Farm of the Americans due to two Americans renting the place from 65 to, like, 1970-something. 
So the caretaker's father worked there since he was 16. So they're standing at the door with this woman and they're like, how do you know it was called that then? And she's like, my, my father was the caretaker before me. And they're like, is he still alive? And like this crazy, like dun, dun, dun music <laughs> plays. And she goes, no. <laughs> so, so I was nope. like, so I was like, that was a really strange buildup to say something so sad. <laughs> like it was so, it was poorly done if oh, you gosh. ask me. But they were like, is he still alive? And it's like camera to him, camera to her, camera to him. Sad music. No. <laughs> I was like, okay, so he's not alive. So he can't tell you who was there because he would have probably known them, you know. So uh, she she did know stories about it, though. So the camera crew and Putzel are pointed in the direction of the highway. And they cross the property to kind of see, you know, what's going on. So they get over there and they're looking. And he, like, basically arrives at pretty much a good angle to show. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still laughing about that. <laughs> no. I was like, well... They should have just ended the fucking show there because honestly, it was such a strange moment that I was so secondhand embarrassed. I was like, this makes me so uncomfortable because it was her dad. He's dead. Is he still alive? No. Okay. And then the translator goes, she said no. And it's like, yeah, we know that. Like that's she We said no. heard. Like no is pretty universal. Or universal, not universal. I don't know what that means. But um, it was very strange. I was like, well, that was weird. So basically all they do is they take that picture of the termite hills. They walk down this path. They get near the highway. He kind of holds it up. And it really does match. It's very similar. Basically how this episode ends is he goes, okay, well, here's my recap of what we've done so far. And they just shoot back to the whole episode. And he goes, I have taken this investigation further than has ever come before. And then the episode ends. (laughs) So I was like, womp, womp. Like, First of all, You're not like, really. Is there a part two? Yeah. And then the next episode I saw, like, you know, as you can go through on that show on the travel app, is a totally different subject. So I was like, no, you, first of all, no, you didn't. Because they all knew they were in Brazil on a farm. Mm-hmm. The only thing different that he did that I don't know they've done before is the facial recognition software. And I'm, I'm pretty certain that either the FBI or someone has run it through facial recognition. Right. So the dude's like, oh, I've taken this. But he reminded me of Zach Baggins or Baggins oh, or whatever, where he was just like, I've done everything that no one else can. And it's like, did you though? Because like literally these documents are on, they're open. Like they're on the FBI website. They are declassified. So I get that it's for TV, but I was kind of annoyed, but. Um, since the escape, just follow up, there's been reported sightings of the three men over the years. Uh, the day after the escape, a man claiming to be John Anglin had called a lawyer in San Francisco to try to arrange a meeting with the U.S. Marshal's office and McGowan refused and the caller terminated the call and the FBI dismissed the call as a prank. So if the guy got cold feet or something happened or he was hurt and wanted to discuss something with the Marshal's and maybe lower his sentence for ratting out maybe someone else, I don't know. Just said it was a prank. Sorry. And it might have been. Um, In 1965, the FBI investigated a rumor that Clarence Eglin was living in Brazil. It was considered so significant that the agents were dispatched to South America to find him. So they didn't spend like a lot of money searching for them, but they did send people at the time. Mm -hmm. So they said we, you know, we didn't have the funds to fully investigate this. But honestly, neither did this show because they didn't do anything more than what they, they sent a couple of agents, probably couldn't track them down and moved on. It. I don't know. I just hate white dudes that are like, I've done it better than or, anyone yeah. else. I'm better than the FBI and the U.S. Marshals. Like, are you? I don't think that you are. Sorry. Um. So there's been a couple of things. Obviously, the family has said they've been contacted. 
They occasionally receive unsigned postcards and messages. The Englund brothers family did. One card came and it said it was signed by Jerry. One was Jerry and Joe. They had a Christmas card from 1962 that said, To Mother from John, Merry Christmas. Um, let's see. There's been weird phone calls to the family that they'd hear breathing and they would just hang up and they think it's either pranks or it could have been them just signaling that they're okay without mm-hmm. saying anything. Um, the mother of the Anglin brothers received flowers anonymously every Mother's Day until her death. Two very tall, unusual women in heavy makeup were reported to have attended her funeral before disappearing. So either it was both of the men in drag or it was very strange women that showed up to the That's hilarious. Which I would have killed to seen, honestly. Mm -hmm. There's been several sightings all over the place. Um, And there was a recently, I didn't put this in here, but there was a letter that came from one of the Anglin brothers to the FBI or marshals or somewhere. And he was reaching out saying, I'm very sick. Uh, we did make it. I have cancer. I'm willing to serve a year in prison if you'll please give me health care. Like he Aww. and and they just. I think they pretty much dismissed that as fake too. But like I think, I think they made it. I think all yeah. three of them made it. it I don't know what like happened. It. Especially the brothers. They were definitely alive up until the 80s. I would say. And if the mom, you know, I don't know what year she died, but they were still sending flowers and such. So I do feel like they made it. I don't feel like this show uncovered anything necessarily it did a good job of laying out what might have happened right so you know obviously like i said you're not going to put a lot of funds towards chasing them down i think they dispatched a few people here and there over the years but again this many years later there's no sense in spending any resources on that which is why tv shows do it for fun i think but yeah still a pretty smart way to get out of there 100 percent, and like when you go to Alcatraz, like I said, they definitely talk about this, but they don't go into like the after details or whatever. Right. Um, so I really didn't know all this, but yeah, definitely interesting. But yeah, when you go to Alcatraz, like you can definitely see why it was hard to like escape because A, it's on like a giant freaking hill. Like that alone mm-hmm. almost killed me, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. Do I have to walk up a hill? Because yeah. I, I'll just stay in prison. No, thank you. They like ask you, they're like, oh, do you want like a motorized cart to go up? And I'm like, no, of course not. And then I'm like, yes. Yes. yes Halfway up, you're that, like, oh, I'm no. Like, I have regrets. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's that. And then even like, because you take like a ferry there. Yeah. So even the ferry ride is somewhat long. So yeah. Imagine trying to swim it or to paddle. And, you know, they must have, honestly, I feel like they were probably practicing these things. They were probably working out. They were probably doing things Mm -hmm. to get, because their goal was get off the island. So if, and I do believe that that makes a lot of sense that that boat they saw, the illegal boat in the water, um, which I don't know what constitutes illegal and legal boating around that area. You might need to, I don't know. I have no way to speculate about that. I don't know how it works. But they were like, oh, it's probably a prank. It's probably nothing. That's probably not related. Bitch, everything is probably related. If they were, if they got their plan executed to make 55 raincoats into a goddamn raft. Right. Like, how do you, Like, they had this planned out. Yeah, it was very well executed. And they, if you got off the island, okay, now you're in a boat. Okay, now we're going to steal a car. And I think they successfully did that. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, they tracked the same vehicle with three people in it, three males moving through the Midwest down to, you know, down a little bit southeast. So, um, and then all they had to do was catch a flight or a boat out of there and get down to Brazil, which again, not hard in the sixties. Right. You know, there was not as many, I think your driver's license for a long time was just a piece of paper, like Mm sign. So, 
I don't know what your documentation would need to be to travel, but I doubt you needed much. So right. I don't know. I thought it was pretty interesting because that is. Have, I've not been there. I'd like to go there sometime. My stepson has been there. He said it's pretty cool. It is so, for sure. Yeah. Just a lot of history there. And, you know, movies are made about that, about Alcatraz. And I hope they made it, honestly, secretly. Like, I know that they probably scared a lot of people and they probably did do a lot of really bad things. But good for them. Good for them to get off the island. <laughs> yeah. They would be know, really good at escape rooms. Yes. Like, they should go and... We need to beat our time. So yeah. if you guys wanted to join us. Yeah, they're well into their 80s now, I guess. Or I didn't. Math is like real hard. So yeah, I don't know. I didn't look it up. But, um, you know, if any of them are living, I think that letter could have been legit. But I'm wondering if their family's in contact with them because their nephew was like, we're not telling you shit, which I don't blame him because it's not really. Number one, it's not his story to tell. And why would you want to put an old person in prison, especially if they're kind of living their life straight now, which I assume if you've a lot of times you get caught after you've escaped something by being in trouble, which is what I think um, Clarence did or one of them did that uh, is how they ended up in Alcatraz was escaped from a prison got in trouble for kept robbing kept doing, right you know so either they're very very good or either they died very early on but the picture from the brazil farm is is uh very similar to their mug shots so i wonder if that was them yeah yeah that's that on that cool i like it me too good me, stories me too me too good stories good stories me too that was the story i picked so obviously I liked yeah it. good job yeah <laughs> we're just gonna congratulate ourselves yeah now. high five myself yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you have anything recommended did you watch anything have you read anything have you heard anything that you found interesting not really what have i been doing i don't even know my I life either. i just float through life and don't know what i'm doing ever same and I thought write something down and the other day I thought that there was something that I wanted to share oh you know what I have been reading this book and I cannot pronounce the the author's name so forgive me it's called the ladies who punch and it's this new book about the view oh so it's like behind the scenes stories of how all the hosts left what happened what kind of person Barbara Walters is uh, it has Star Jones information. It has Rosie O'Donnell's big blow up. Whoopi Goldberg. It talks about. Oh, that, that does sound interesting. So it, I've almost finished it in about three days, and I haven't been reading a lot lately because I just I'm tired, and I would rather watch television where someone speaks at me than me have to think mm-hmm. about reading. But now that I'm not staring at a computer screen all day long at work, I'm more apt to read because mm-hmm. when I was doing medical billing, I was staring at paperwork and a computer screen all day. And then when I wanted to read for pleasure, I couldn't do it. Right. So someone on a podcast, I think the podcast is called keep it. And I think that was where either the guy who wrote the book was on there or someone, someone related to this book was on there and they're like, Oh, there's this new book about, behind the scenes drama at the view and I used to watch the view because I was a stay-at-home mom for a little bit when my son was small and I did watch the view every day and I did uh watch Oprah and you know just like the daytime tv and the view was interesting before it got into an all-out like screaming match constantly but the whole drama of it is insane and like it kind of goes a little bit into Barbara Walters's history she had like 50 years in television and kind of the shit she did to get there and she's very self-congratulatory like she's always like I put her on tv and I did this Mm -hmm. and it was strange to 
read about. It's like, a very calm it's, down, Barb. Yeah, take it easy, Babs. We gotta have a little conversation about you. But she's she's an interesting woman, and she was a pioneer in a lot of uh, female journalism type things. But the View is straight up drama, and I love it. I just love reading about it. I haven't watched actually. I, I lied the other day when I was home. I think Friday during the day I was home, so I did turn on the View for a little bit, and I didn't recognize two of the hosts. So I don't even know who the hell's on there anymore, but I did listen to it for a bit and it's, it's not interesting to me anymore, but it was funny to watch it after I've been reading this book. So I do, I do recommend this book for anyone who's watched The View or wants to know a little bit about like how it came to be and some of the inside stories. It's definitely a good book to read. Cool. Yeah. That's all I really have. All right, so I guess we're done. Yeah, if episode guys, six in the we're books. We're six down uh, on the books. What is on the, the what in is it that on phrase? it around it over the books something? Yeah, my friend Sam last night. Uh, we had like a girls' night thing at her house, and I got to meet some of her friends who are all very cool, and they're like ten years younger than me. So I'm like gonna suck their youth out. I need to hang out with them more <laughs> because they're like youthful and their ideas are more fresh. And I'm like, ah, oh, grandma's got to hang out with these young gals. So. <laughs> Sam said, well, where was your podcast this week? So I said, oh, you know, we're probably going to do it every other week right for right now. And she's like, are you on five, six? And I was like, shit, I don't know. So I had to like look. But yeah, this we're officially at number six. Woo. So everything social is at Shallow Dive Pod. Gmail is at Shallow Dive. No, Shallow Dive Pod <laughs> at gmail.com. Don't put that in front of it or you won't get us. Um, send us your stuff for like a listener episode. There's been a handful of suggestions come in. But honestly, if you want to know um, anything about us yeah. or our opinion on anything. That would be fun. Yeah. For people to send us questions and then we just have an episode of answering them. Like any yes. question. Any of them. If you want to know, we'll answer it. It's no big deal. And you know, our lives are open books. So go ahead and ask us whatever you want to ask us. We'll try to get your questions answered. But it is great if you want to interact a little bit. Please hit us up on the social media and review us on iTunes if you would like. Please send something nice. Uh, You can just write a little sentence that doesn't have anything to do with us for all I care. Just go ahead and give us a good review if you don't mind. And uh, until next time, I guess. Until next time. All right. Bye. Bye.